Yep, away we go with the uh, Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday morning. This, by the way, Bob, is National Gardening Exercise Day, and I imagine you get quite a bit of exercise while you're out in the garden. Well, good morning. Absolutely. Welcome aboard. Good to have you here. I Sorry we had to take you out of the garden. That's <laughs> okay. You know, uh, we got we're off to a fairly good season. We had a little rain. Yeah. I missed your forecast. We getting rain in the forecast, Dave? Uh, very little. Only maybe some sprinkles today, and then uh, next best chance I get is towards the weekend on Friday. Okay. You know, it's real interesting. We of course uh, had all of that snow record snowfall, mm-hmm. no frost in the ground, so the ground absorbed a lot of that. Uh, a little dry in some places, and what you know, this isn't going to really impact a lot of our uh, trees and shrubs. The trees and shrubs got their roots down. They just really drank all that up. So the landscapes, when you take a look around, they're magnificent. As a matter of fact, uh, take a look at the lilacs that are coming in and, and certainly the uh, flowering crabs. They're beautiful. We've got the uh, rhododendrons and the azaleas. Uh, they're just magnificent this year. So they've been able to, they got the roots down. They've been able to pick up all this moisture. They had some good bud set last fall. Where we might uh, have some impact on these drier soils on the soil surface, uh, if you're seeding your vegetable garden, and we're at that point now, uh, certainly where you can seed just about anything. Dave, we don't want to set the, necessarily set the tomatoes. I got cool this morning very quickly. It can really surprise us that mm-hmm. it was a hot, hot weekend, and the weathers can really change. And I get this question every year. Uh, when is the last assured frost-free date? And, you know, you have a 99% chance of it being frost-free by June 10th is the date we use at the airport uh, for this area. If you're a little farther north, uh, maybe it's June 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're down along the St. Louis River Valley where it can get cold as well, it might be just a little bit later. We have had a frost as late as June 10th. But it just doesn't look like it's in the forecast. So I think... We're okay to go and uh, setting a lot of our frost-sensitive uh, transplants out even at this time. So we're very close to all all systems go, Dave, and we want to take advantage of some of this great sunlight we have here in the month of June coming on the, the longest day, sunrise and sunset. Uh, the days are getting longer every day, aren't they now? Almost 9 o'clock now. 8.59 is sunset, and it's up by 5.16 in the morning. I think tomorrow is when we hit the 9 o'clock time. Is that right? Yeah. So that gives people a lot of time after work mm-hmm. to get out there, and uh, you probably want to take advantage of this first week in June. I always kind of try to work around that June 21st day, the first day of summer when uh, the days are the longest. And uh, light is what drives green plants, so we got plenty of light. Uh, we got warmer temperatures. You will want to watch your moisture, particularly if you're uh, if you're direct seeding. Say you're putting in a real fine seed, you're planting carrots or you're planting beets. Uh, lettuce, those types of uh, very, very fine seed that goes in quarter, three-eighths of an inch, uh, those upper soil levels can dry down very quickly on you. So people will ask me about uh, how I'm able to establish carrots as an example, and I'm just very, very sensitive to moisture levels. Carrots will go in uh, three-eighths of an inch about on your soil. First, you want a real, a real good soil bed. And then you really want to be out there with the hose if you've got a garden situation and uh, keep those seed bed moist. I I really think that's the key. You can cover a little bit with uh, maybe a real fine organic, or we've got uh, one of our sponsors there, the Garden Green product. Use it as a mulch on the soil surface. That'll hold some of the moisture, just a little bit of that, quarter of an inch or so on top of your soil. 
that will hold some of the moisture. So if you're going to be gone for two or three days, it gets warm. If you've got a layer on top of your real fine seed, maybe your carrots, we'll use that as an example. Uh, if you've got that ni- real nice fine layer of organic on top of your seed bed, then that'll hold the moisture. Oftentimes what happens is we'll get out there, we may have a little rain shower, and the seed will crack is the term we use. It'll germinate, and then it gets hot and dry, particularly in that upper quarter to half an inch. It gets very hot, very dry, so the seed is germinated, and then that small seedling uh, just burns off on you. So that's one of the keys really to a good carrot stand is keeping that seedbed moist or covering with a real good organic mulch, a fine organic mulch. You don't want anything that's too bulky, of course, wood chips or anything like that. But if you come across with a, a nice compost, uh, I think that'll work nicely, not too deep again, because that carrot's very small. It has to its way through, but maybe a quarter of an inch. Then you can water it and leave it for a few days, and you don't have to be concerned. If you don't have anything, if it's hot and dry, low humidities, then daily you're going to want to get out there and, uh, and get some water on it, Dave. I noticed the uh, lawns are starting to dry out a little bit, too. We haven't had a whole lot of rain lately, so except for oh, some sprinkles. Really yeah. It's so remarkable because we go from a certain amount of extremes, and I guess uh, maybe we can anticipate we're going to see a little bit more of that, but we had so much snow. Very fortunate that we didn't have uh, frost in the ground early. We had good snow cover, so a lot of that was picked up. Uh, it's really going to help the flower buds. Let me uh, flower buds on, on trees as well. Let me ask about your Harrelson apples. Did you are you going to have a good apple year? How are you doing there, Dave? It looks kind of sparse. I noticed the uh, the blossoms are coming out, but there's not nearly as many as there used to be. So I might have a, a bit of an off year this year, which is yeah. <laughs> fine with me. It's been way too more than I can handle the last couple of years. Yeah, we've, we've talked about it before, but uh, yeah. Dave has a Harrelson, which goes back to the '30s, the great University of Minnesota introduction that's been around for a long, long time. And, of course, Honeycrisp is the notable university introduction, which the whole world was amazed because we're not big apple country. You know, we really didn't have any eating apples here before Peter Gideon came across. All we had was a few crabs, which uh, weren't very edible. And uh, when the state of Minnesota began to open up, uh, food was an important item, and any food that you could store for our homesteading farmers was very important. So he he brought in a lot of uh, seedlings from upstate New York and, and Vermont and other places. Maine, he brought some in from. He was just determined to find something, and he found the, the wealthy, and that became some of the parentage for the, the Harrelson that was introduced a little later. Peter Gideon's time was about 1868, and I don't think that he was around to see the uh, the advent of, of your tree, the Harrelson. The Harrelson goes back a long, long ways. And when Honeycrisp came along, everyone said, well, that'll be the end of Harrelson. No one will want Harrelson any longer. And uh, that's not the case at all. Harrelson's far hardier than Honeycrisp. I've seen Harrelson way up in the Canada growing days. So it, first, we have to have varieties in the Northland here that are going to make it through multiple winters, just not easy winters, but uh, the real tough winters. Tough winter is uh, cold weather, of course, no snow cover, and then a very difficult prevailing winds. And that combination will take down a, an awful lot of trees, but not Harrelson. Harrelson seems to make it, but it does typically have a very alternate bearing habit. In other words, we'll have a tremendous amount of bloom one year, and then because the flower buds get set in the fall, we get heavy fruit one year. There's not enough energy again to uh, push those blossoms in the fall of the year, so there's fewer buds that are set. So the next year will be a very light fruit year. And then because it's a light fruit year, uh, we'll have... 
additional blossoms set in the fall. So I kind of think that's what's happening with your Harrelson this year. They don't always think your neighbor may have a Harrelson that's just in the opposite <laughs> kind of a cycle. There you go. But uh, right now, for most people, I think it's going to be a pretty heavy uh, apple year. I know a number of people that have orchards, and they've said that right. uh, for most people, very, very heavy bloom this year, Dave. Now, in your story, uh, you didn't mention Johnny Appleseed. When I went to school, I thought he was the guy that spread apple trees across the country. <laughs> well, he was out there in, uh, <laughs> I don't know if he made it this far west. He was out there oh. in Massachusetts and, and so forth and has a great reputation. But uh, <laughs> Peter Gideon, you know, he didn't get the folklore associated yeah. with him, but uh, Peter Gideon's the guy that we can really be thankful. He brought uh, apples into the Midwest. In Wisconsin, was the same situation, certainly out in the Dakotas. We just, this was not apple-bearing country just because of the, the apples were not hardy enough. They wouldn't get through our real severe winters. So he was a guy that was really responsible for, uh, for bringing them in, and uh, he's probably looking down above. And uh, it's kind of interesting because his first introduction, 1868, The Wealthy, which came originally out of a seedling that came out of upstate New York, and he named it after his wife. He never was a wealthy man. There's not enough money in uh, any kind of uh, farming here in northern Minnesota, but nonetheless, he certainly didn't prosper from it, but he named uh, that wealthy tree after his wife. That was his name. She put up with a lot because I heard the story that he had to decide between a new winter coat and buying some seedlings from upstate New York. He bought the seedlings and covered with a ragged winter coat. (laughs) But he was a determined horticulturist, and we're all pretty, uh, pretty uh, should be grateful to yeah. him for his efforts, including in his situation, because the wealthy was a parentage to some of the uh, Harrelsons that were developed later by the University of Minnesota. Well, he Thanks needed a him. better uh, public relations agent, I think. That's the key. To I think he did. Johnny Appleseed <laughs> got all the credit. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show. It's 930 now at KDAL. As we mentioned at the uh, top of the show, this is National Gardening Exercise Day, and I would imagine gardening will give you quite a bit of exercise as you're out there hoeing and raking and shoveling and weeding. Oh, you're right. And you know it's really low-impact exercise. You know, you might want to stretch and warm up a little bit. We had a great, uh, (laughs) as a matter of fact, Bruce might be listening. I believe his career was a uh, physical therapist. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was big on getting people to stretch a little bit before they got uh, too ambitious on that hole. But I think, you know, uh, I think a lot of life is about perception. And if you take a look at uh, even working on that hole, uh, we did activity. And uh, I think that uh, people should be encouraged. I did a little work, and it's pretty, pretty rough. But I took a little look at the amount of calories that were burned uh, on general gardening activities. And through the course of the season, it's for people that have a good-sized garden, it's equivalent to running a couple marathons in the wow. course of the season. So it's uh, it's really good uh, good activity. Now, of course, it's very moderate, and that's a fair amount of time being spent on a hole out there. But, uh, yeah, well, you want to take a look at it. It is good activity. You know, the other nice thing about it, I think, uh, particularly in this day and age, it helps a person's attitude. Uh, this is my favorite time of the year. Everyone's got a favorite. Some people even loved that winter last year. I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, there are some out there that really enjoyed that, particularly if they were skiing or snowmobiling. But uh, I love the spring when when there's this rebirth of life and things are green. I love that feel, light green shade that's in the landscapes right now. So I would just encourage everyone just to stop and uh, literally smell the roses, so to speak. Take a look at the landscapes. They are gorgeous right now. I mentioned the fact that the lilacs are out and the uh, 
Persithia, which are the yellow uh, shrubs, are a little bit early, but the white gelias, which have these beautiful burgundy colors, uh, they're out right now. And uh, we've got the mock orange beginning to come, and we've got all of our northern lights and gelias. And the background is, is this beautiful lush green, and we've had enough moisture. We could use a little more, but uh, trees and shrubs, for the most part, are lush and green right now. And it's that combination that psychologically gives you such a nice boost. So there's a psychological benefit. Uh, gardening can be really relaxing. So I, I tell people don't make that garden so long and so large as it's stressful. This has no. got to be uh, just a really relaxing type of activity. So there's the exercise, the physical exercise, Dave. There's a psychological component of watching things grow. Now, you're not going to have 100% success. I've been looking at some of my... Uh, my fields and my plots, and uh, because of that winter uh, snow cover, uh, some of the insects that spend their life cycle down in the soil are pretty aggressive. So uh, <laughs> if you've lost a bean crop this year, as I have, or about 50% of it, these would be green and snap beans, uh, that seed corn maggot that had a very, very good winter, and people think it was bad seed if you're starting with good quality seed, that's not usually the issue. But if you just see the stalk and the uh, the seed leaves, the cotyledons are buzzed off at the top, that seed corn maggot. So it, you're never going to have 100% success, but the 50% that made it, I think uh, they look pretty good. And, of course, the nice thing about being early June, you have plenty of opportunities to just replant, reseed. I kind of suggest people buy a little more seed uh, than what you think you may need because you may need it because there can be any number of things that can can occur. And I think if it were real easy and if you never had uh, you know, any problems, then you'd never successes. So, uh, you know, I'm beginning to see some insect issues. I would suspect Colorado beetles is going to be a this year because uh, that heavy snow layer early in the season protects so many of these insects. And open winter is tough on trees and shrubs, but it's also tough on some of the insects that overwinter in the soil during the winter. So nonetheless, um, you take the satisfaction from what does grow. You can replant. You can be successful the second time around. You might, if you're seeding, you might want to even pre-soak. I'm not a, a big advocate of pre-soaking on a seed, on the, but sometimes we get later in the season, we want to get a jump, so maybe 24 hours pre-soaking, get it down in the ground, and then you're going to have to follow up with some additional moisture. But these are just a couple of reseeding tips for people out in the, out in the vegetable garden. Keep the moisture coming once you get it started. Make sure you get a good, if we don't have rain, make sure that you've got a good supply of water. Once that seed begins to germinate, we have to continue with the supply of moisture. Now, David, once again, so there's exercise there. There's the psychological benefits, and then there's really the health benefits. Right. Someone did point out a, a book, which I'm going to take a little closer look at, uh, called Beat Cancer Kitchen, kind of an interesting name, great uh, recipes in there. And a lot of that product comes out of the uh, garden, and a lot of these greens in particular are known anti-carcinogens. Uh, there's a lot of foof when it comes to nutrition, but we do know that a better diet that's loaded with veggies, loaded with leafy greens, uh, loaded with the cabbage family, cabbage, uh, Brussels sprouts, these are the big ones. So just less processed food and more, more of the natural environment, and uh, get your kids out there, get them planting carrots, get them planting beets, snap peas. They love all these things, tomatoes when they come along, and the health benefits are 
again. So better diet, more exercise, and the psychological benefits. I think that's one of the reasons, Dave, that gardening is really the number one hobby in probably in the world. Bob, your phone is going a little haywire again, but uh, National Gardening Exercise Day, and as Bob mentioned, all the exercise that you're putting into the garden uh, over the summer will pay off with the uh, healthy vegetables you get at the end. It's 940. We'll take another break. Be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And we're back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday, the 6th of June already. Uh, Bob, speaking of in- insects, I uh, put a couple of flowers into a flower pot that I saved dirt from last year, and the dirt was full of ants. Are they going to be a problem with, I don't know, flowers? You know, uh, people get a lot of very concerned about ants, and particularly some of these smaller sweet ants. Yeah. Uh, in moderation, they're really not a problem. Okay, I think uh, I wouldn't worry about those. We see them on peonies, and uh, it's a little early for peonies, but right. they're a magnificent flower for our northern climate here. And I always look forward to that. By the way, if you get a chance, you've got to get down to the Rose Garden. That's going to be great <laughs> this year. And they've got a wonderful peony collection that I don't think gets quite enough credit. But it's, uh, it is magnificent. That'll be a little later. But the buds of peonies just get covered with ants, and people get really concerned about that. Mm. They're not a problem, these small, sweet ants. Where we will have a problem is we get very substantial uh, galleries, galleries that are developed on in the, under the soil, and they may interfere with the uh, root system uh. of certain plants. If you really have that extent, oftentimes that may be carpenter ants and maybe other types of ants rather than the small, sweet ants. And then, then we have to figure out something we can do for control if, if they're really that extensive. For the most part, Dave, I wouldn't worry about that. Glad you got a few things potted up. Yeah. You know, uh, container growing, uh, growing in raised beds, becoming more and more popular all the time. Uh, particularly, you know, we're not noted for our real great lonely soils here. We've got a lot of bedrock, and we've got a lot of, in some cases, very, very heavy clay soils. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with the clay soil for trees and shrubs. Uh, they, As a matter of fact, you probably have slightly heavy clay soils where your Harrelson's planted. It is definitely, yep, they're in the clay for sure. Yes, they're in the clay. Now, there's a situation there where, uh, you know, certain trees, once they get established in a clay, it takes a little while for Mm. a tree or a shrub to get established because those roots aren't going to be able to expand quite as quickly as they would in a lighter soil. But once they get established, the nice thing about a clay is clay holds on to a lot of nutrients. So, Mm. Don't give up on your clays for trees and shrubs. You might, uh, for annuals, where we're planting very, very small seed, we talked about some of the fine seeds, the lettuce and the carrots, and if you're going to direct seed broccoli and so forth, very, very fine seed, they have a little trouble with the clays. So in this case, you can incorporate organic material, and you're going to have to do that on on a regular basis, and we can use uh, compost, our garden green product, great way to till that down, use it as a soil amendment, on the soil surface is the mulch. When we work it in, it's amendment. That tends to open the soil. If you have a heavy clay, let's stay away from sands. I get a lot of people that have added sand, and you can sometimes get what we call a hard pan. It's almost like concrete, so you really don't want to pour water on a drowning man, like they say. Uh, you want to uh, don't add sand to a clay unless uh, you've actually tried that in a small location. Make sure that you're not getting these particles interacting and giving you a situation that's far worse this hard pan mm. never go wrong incorporating organics though so organics are helpful on sandy soils organics are helpful on uh, heavy clays either way 
uh, they're going to be beneficial to you. But for annual seeding on your clay, I think you want to uh, do a couple of things. You want to incorporate organic before you seed, or you want to build a raised bed, or you want to come up in containers. So we we have options for everybody, Dave, uh, even on the real heavy clays right. uh, for certain. Hey, we got a rhubarb festival coming up later this month. Bob, how's your rhubarb doing? Oh, the rhubarb looks great. Ah, this year. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a perennial plant that, uh, you know, we got the festival, and I'm glad it is a festival, and our <laughs> master gardeners will be down there answering questions. They do a real cool. nice job. Uh, so they'll be participating in that, certainly, as well as the Duluth Farmer's Market, which, you know, is open on Wednesdays now from 2 to 5 and Saturdays from mm-hmm. 8 till noon. And uh, we've got our Master Gardeners with Ask the Master Gardener booth down there as well. So if people have specific questions, uh, they certainly can work with our Master Gardeners to get some of those answered. But back to your question on rhubarb, it's going to be a great year once again. It's all that moisture that uh, kicked in from the from the winter that's really been very, very nice there. Uh, we're close to uh, harvest, actually, wow. which is rather remarkable. And uh, we've got this harvest window where the rhubarbs were. You can harvest those anytime you got a quality stock. You can harvest that, trim the leaves off. Never want to consume the leaves. And when that stock is actively growing, uh, you never have to be concerned about the toxicity of that particular stock. But we don't want to eat the leaves. We accumulate some oxalic acids. We obviously want to cut them off. You're not going to make soup out of that. Keep that for your spinach and other leafy greens, but not the rhubarb leaves. And uh, then uh, it's a great crop. It's a northern crop. The farther north you get up into Canada, I've seen them in Alaska that are incredible. They're, you wow. know, three, four feet tall and uh, incredible crop for them there. They do consider them a weed at that particular point. But you look away farther south, you get down in Missouri and on the east coast, down in the Virginia area, they really can't grow it. So mm. it becomes a very, very desirable crop where in many cases we kind of consider it uh, a weed crop. If your rhubarb isn't growing well here, uh, then oftentimes you want to look for a little bit more sun, a little bit better drainage. Uh, it's a crop that needs to be divided from time to time, so a little late to do that now. Yeah. I wouldn't advise that, but earlier in the spring, just when it's beginning to break, uh, emerge from the soil, you can get down there, cut the root up, uh, separate it out, remove it from grass and other competing weeds. Right. Both on good drainage, and it grows spectacularly, actually. Bob, we got a question on the phone. Hi, who's this? Judy. Go ahead, Judy. Hi, Judy. Um, I have a question. I recently received an African violet, which I've never had any before. And it seems like the leaves are kind of curling under. And also, I'd like to know what can you use, like Miracle Grow for fertilizer? Or is it a better one? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you there. Oh, no, but, I just uh, wondered look, if there was a better fertilizer than Miracle-Gro. Yeah, you know, there are some fertilizers a little lower in nitrogen that are designed specifically for African violets, and they're labeled as African violet fertilizers, so I would get that. One of my concerns is let's look at the underside of the leaves. Sometimes they can pick up insects that can cause that curling effect, so let's make sure we don't have any any insects that are causing the problem. You want to be very careful. African violets, the leaves themselves, are sensitive to any moisture droplets that are on the surface. So oftentimes, if you're going to water on the soil surface, be careful not to get any water on the leaves. So use a 
you know, an appropriate watering can with a fine spout so you can get it down there, or you can bottom uh, water in many cases. Yeah, that's uh, what I've been doing, it, uh, mm-hmm. watering it from the bottom. Right. That's good. That's good. Then I think at this point, uh, you know, they like bright but not hot light. So if you've got an east window, I think that would be good, or a real sure uh, curtain or drape, uh, that would be helpful. Uh, let's make sure we don't have any insects on there that would be causing the problem, and then let them pick up what they can from uh, from the solution down below. And there you can add a little bit of a African violet uh, fertilizer, which is going to be just a little lower in the nitrogen component for you. So I would shop for that, and you'll get a, uh, a nice nutrient mix, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and some trace elements, all of which are going to be useful and let's keep it out of the hot sun. Let's get a bright sun and east window, and uh, that should be very helpful for you. They're, they're nice plants. Uh, you can take cuttings. You can take the leaves very readily from them. So even if uh, this one seems to have some problems, if you've got good quality new growth or leaves, you can take the leaves with that leaf stalk or the petiole, and you can stick it in a – you can do it just in water if you want, but mm-hmm. the better uh, rooting media would be 50% vermiculite, 50% perlite. You can buy those at lawn and garden shops with moisture, of course, and uh, they do root uh, the leaves – Leaf cuttings uh, with that leaf petiole will root very readily for you, particularly wow. now with with all the light that we've got. Good plant for the house, good house plant, but it can be just a little bit fussy. <laughs> but I think uh, if you get bright light, not too much heat, and then a little fertility, you're going to be fine. Okay? Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the call. Appreciate Thank it. You. 9.51, we got to take another break. We'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show. What? And we are back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. Bob, the lake is uh, modifying the temperature somewhat, especially around Lake Superior. I know you've been up in the 80s uh, for much of last week, but it uh, looks like it'll stay cooler the rest of this week with those lake winds. Yeah, you know, and that isn't all bad. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, as long as we stay moderate, um, it's really tough. A lot of people will be planting trees and shrubs. They'll be planting uh, their transplants out in the garden over the next week or so here. And uh, what's really tough is uh, a hot, dry day with a hot, dry wind. So actually, the fact that we've got moderate temperatures, don't don't want it too cold, that's stressful as well, but moderate temperatures, a little higher humidity, maybe even a little fog in the the air, that's not bad for putting transplants in. So we've got our transplants. uh, You can get them from the greenhouse. For most people, you're growing your own, possibly. And then, you know, you want to, you want to, let them adapt a little bit so we want to want them really to harden off so we're going to instead of just immediately sticking them in the ground at high noon we want to let them sit in their containers for a day or two overnight uh, just outside so they can just adjust a little bit to this harsh environment because the real environment is quite a bit harsher than in the home or in the greenhouse (laughs) so we let them adjust and then, uh, because there's a shock, we call it transplant shock. Anytime you take a plant out of a container where those roots are real happy and you stick them out in the ground, there's a shock. We don't want too many shocks in a row. So uh, hot and dry is a shock. Uh, not being adapted or not being uh, uh, acclimated to the outdoor environment, that's a shock. No water, that's a shock. So we want to be careful initially. Uh, we might want to use a little bit of a half-strength, high-water-soluble phosphorus fertilizer to help uh, the roots take off. But generally, we're going to stay away from a lot of fertility. We don't want another 
shock that comes from fertilizer salts. There's plenty of time to come over the top with fertility. A lot of that should be worked into the soil already or perhaps compost worked in. And then um, then you can set them out very carefully. Make sure you, that you get a good thorough watering. If you're going to be planting trees and shrubs, we obviously want to dig yourself a nice wide shallow hole. You want to have the hose there, so you want water in the bottom. I think we've got good subsoil moisture, so this is probably not going to be as big an issue this year. But oftentimes people water in the top, they get a half an inch of water over the top after they put in a nice apple tree. There's nothing down below, and that's where most of the root system is and is going to develop. So as you're filling the hole, let's have a hose going along. You're going to backfill with that soil. You're going to have some water that's going to go into it. Then when we get up to the top, you're going to make sure you get that watered, and then you're going to put a nice wood chip or compost mulch around the tree. You're going to have all that uh, grass out of there. We just don't want to take that up against the tree uh, because then we get water that that, that accumulates. So uh, good quality uh, transplanting at this time. These conditions actually are just about ideal, Dave. All right. Well, uh, the people have transplant issues, too. You get people coming up here from Florida or something. It takes a while to acclimate as well. So it's plants and people That's that true. have uh, transplant. I've got a neighbor, a neighbor that came in from Tennessee, and I think right now pretty hot farther south, so we're oh, really yeah. fortunate to have those lake winds that uh, <laughs> keep things reasonable. I know sleeping was pretty easy last night if you're not air-conditioned compared to what it was uh, previous night. So. All right. Hey, so, Bob, uh, as usual, thank you so much, and we'll catch you again next Tuesday. It's my pleasure, Dave, and we'll stay up with this. There's plenty to talk about as we come through the growing season. Here. And don't forget about the farmer's market that's open now Wednesday and Saturday, right? Wednesday afternoon, 2 to 5, Saturdays, 8 till noon. And if you need transplants, a lot of our growers are bringing in transplants as well, well adapted for the area. All right, thank you, Bob. Uh, We'll check weather next on KDAL.